Let's get started, shall we? The Lord be with you. Almighty God, as your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, ascended into the heavens, so may we also ascend in heart and mind and continually dwell there with him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So early service people, today we are observing Ascension Day. Ascension Day uh, technically was Thursday, so it's 40 days after our Lord's resurrection when he was taken up into heaven. Late service people, you will hear the story of Elijah and Elisha, of Elijah being taken up into heaven. You also will hear Luke's account from Acts of the Ascension itself. Uh, You'll notice the Paschal candle, which we have lit during the 40 days of Easter, gets extinguished during the Gospel reading. Uh, Pay attention for that. We're not extinguishing it because it ran out of oil or anything like that. Um, That's all kind of just a way of cementing, symbolizing, and showing you uh, what's going on. Ascension Day used to be uh, a part of what I call the three-legged stool for Christian worship, which would be Christmas, Easter, and Ascension. Um, And I remember even as a kid down in Perryville, Missouri, um, on Ascension Day, all the churches would have an Ascension Day service, and a lot of businesses were closed. Uh, And so that really doesn't happen much anymore. Um, There's been a gradual return to some of those things, and uh, uh, just late service people, listen to what Pastor Grady has to say during his sermon and you'll find out what's coming next year. Early service people, mark it on your calendars, okay? (laughs) So I thought about doing it this year, but I was like, no, the new guy, he gets blamed for changing everything, so we'll wait a year to do some of that, but okay? So Ascension Day is really, it's really a big deal. Uh, It's a big deal in Scripture. We confess it in our three creeds, and it's all about Christ uh, bodily, and that's what we're talking about here in our book right now, Jesus being both man and God. So he is in heaven right now, not just like Casper the ghost or Slimer or whatever. He's Jesus with flesh and blood, right? So our loved ones who have died are worshiping the lamb on his throne. And Jesus is flesh and blood in heaven right now. And, 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 and now what we're going to talk about today is this question. Here's what I want you to think about. Is Jesus able to be flesh and blood here with us now? Because that's a big dividing point amongst Christians. And I would submit to you it's a very important doctrinal point. Okay? Are you ready? Here we go. All right. Jesus as Jehovah. Oh, oh, I had it marked. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, here we go. During the 4th century, Arius and his followers denied that Christ was really God. He was more than a man, yes, but they said not quite God. When pressed, these so-called Arians were even willing to call Jesus God in some sense, yet they denied that he was really the one true God who created heaven and earth. Against their denials, muddles, and outright deceptions, the councils of Nicaea, that's 325, and Constantinople, 381, put the biblical truth in the clearest language possible. Let's read it together. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. That's a mouthful, but there's a lot packed in there. Okay, even in, in, in some of the, you know, you might call it a run-on sentence in some respects. 
all about Jesus being man and God. Uh, so we're doing a little bit of review from last week before we dive into the meat of it. Don't forget the Council of Nicaea 325 uh, was where uh, Nicholas of Myrna, you know him as St. Nicholas, or you probably better know him as Santa Claus, uh, physically assaulted this Arius. Um, some accounts have him just slapping him. Some accounts have him like punching him. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and Nicholas, yeah, Santa Claus got in a fight is, 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 is kind of how I like to explain it. Um, but he did it for good reason. I mean, it's not an excuse to act that way. Don't act that way at the voters meeting next week, okay? Uh, because <laughs> Nicholas was thrown out of the council actually was jailed for a short time, um, and there was talk actually of completely defrocking him, uh, which, which didn't end up taking place. Uh, but that's just not good behavior, right? Um, but he did it because he, was, he could not believe that there would be somebody in the church who would deny the full humanity and divinity of Jesus. For Nicholas, those were fighting words, Okay. So I think what you can take away with that is, what does that mean for you? How important is the divinity and the humanity of Jesus for you, your faith, and your salvation? Okay. Now, to be fair, it's something you've been confessing, okay? at least if you were baptized and catechized in a Lutheran church, you've been confessing that your whole life. You may not have understood that, right? Sometimes we just, that, that's, you know... Uh, <laughs> You know, we, we start with, uh, there's still a little bit of a classical education in the church, and we need to bring back a little bit more of that. Words mean things, right? So you start with grammar. You teach people, you know, you teach kids the words. They don't understand all of it, um, you know, but you, you get that into your brains. And that's kind of happened to you as well, even in confirmation class. Uh, you know, I doubt any of our, our uh, eighth graders, if we were to sit there and, and ask them, put them on the stand, make them sit up here. Right? And, and, and go through all the fine doctrinal points that Luther pulls out, even the small catechism. I doubt they're at the point where they could, they could really do that. They get the basics? Absolutely. Faith there? Absolutely. But that's why you've got a lifetime to continue to dive into that, right? So we, we build off the foundation of the grammar. From the grammar, then you move to the, you know what the next step is? Logic. Okay? Uh, so logic now, this, this, be, this becomes the, uh, you know, the what is the grammar, and then what's, what's the, any classical people here? Am I, am I preaching to the wrong group of people? What's that? No, keep going. Well, yeah, yeah rhetoric comes after the logic. So, so, so the, the, the logic side of it now uh, becomes uh, uh, fill in the blanks, if you will, in terms of, of definitions and understanding if A, then B, that sort of thing. And then we get to rhetoric, which is a little more of the, I call it kind of the existential questions, the why, right? And so it's putting everything together. So in your, in your faith and your understanding, that's, that's kind of a way of looking at how you're growing in just, just the, the, the basics of, of, okay, Jesus is God and man, you know, I, I got that, I confessed that as a young kid, but now what does that really mean? So to unpack that, and that's where we're going with, okay? All right, any questions before we move on? Because I could sit here and I could go into a whole classical education thing on the side. Uh, which is something I think we, you know, down the road as we start the process of looking at school and feasibility, 
That will be one side, just so you hear it from me, that I will at least ask us to research and do. So if we're going to start a school, what type of school are we going to start? Um, I left my wallet in my office, I'll pay you later. <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, and so to look at all those things and, 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 and make some of that, some of that. Okay, let's, let's move on before I get in trouble with somebody I don't want to get in trouble with. I don't think anybody's here, but anyway. All right. Uh, okay, in our day, the Jehovah's Witnesses, so now, now we're, we're moving just a little bit so you can make some connections. The Jehovah's Witnesses have taken up the old Aryan errors once more. They deny the Holy Trinity and the true Godhead of Jesus Christ. Uh, mockery is made of St. John's profound confession that, quote, let's read it together, the Word was God, via the pretense that this means, quote, the Word was a God. See how that gets twisted? So we would say there's only, how many gods are there? One. Okay. Um, now, you, you probably have several other gods, though, right? Well, I mean, you do. That's idolatry. That's first commandment. So we do make gods for ourselves, but yet over all those other gods, whatever they are for us sinners, there is only one God, correct? So this was kind of tough when my kids were little. I think when they've gotten older now, they've started to understand that. But wait a minute, there's, but the, the catechism says you shall have no other gods, so therefore the Bible says there are other gods. Well, yes, but there's only one true God. You see that? There's only one God who is, and you can, you can do all of the, uh, the big O words, right? The omni words, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, right? All-powerful, all-knowing, you know, that sort of thing. There's only one of those, okay? And don't give the devil more credit than he deserves either. The devil read your mind? No. But is the devil one of the smartest beings ever created? Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, after you've gotten married, uh, you, you, you learn a few things about your spouse. <laughs> and your spouse learns to read your nonverbal signals. And then when you have kids, and this scares the you-know-what out of you because they start doing it as well, right? So they can tell by your... You don't even have to use words. The way your shoulders might be slumped, the, you know, the expressions on your face... You don't feel the muscles forming in a certain way, but you know you, you, you get the whole somebody's planting corn in your forehead type of look, you know, and that sort of thing, okay, which, which is not good for your you know, healthier skin down the road, but that's a different thing. So, so the, you get that whole side of it. Oh, let, let's move on. I, I've, got, I've said too much again. Okay. Um, so the whole of St. John, and remember John was writing against Gnosticism, Gnosticism, very simply, uh, is the, the belief that you can attain to the divine or knowledge of the world or just understanding of the world just through knowledge itself, right? So knowledge becomes God, right? So it's, it's the pursuit of knowledge. And so John now is revealing, uh, again, and this flies in the face of not only postmodernism, which is, would be a variant of Gnosticism itself, uh, that there is such a thing as absolute truth. So, so John gives us now the absolute divine truth uh, from God. Uh, the word was God, not just a God. It culminates now in full view of the Lord's accomplished life, death, and resurrection in the same confession which it opened, and let's read it together, my Lord and my God. That's human and divine. 
right? So you are my Lord. Lord is earthly master, if you will, okay, or authority figure, God being completely divine. Uh, John 8, 58 takes us deeper still. Let's read it. Before Abraham was, I am, and that's God's name. The unbelieving Jews understood very well that Jesus, with these words, was making a claim to God's own name, Jehovah, which is based on the, and let's read that together, I am that I am of Exodus 3.14. Anytime you see something repeated in Scripture, pay attention. It should be like a flashing red light, a stop sign, a tornado siren going off. We've heard a lot of that in the Gospels here. Uh, through the Easter season. Normally you'll see them in the New Testament as truly, truly, which is amen and amen. Okay? And amen means yes, it shall be so. Remember that from your catechism. Okay? Uh, so you, I'll slowly train you. The, my last parishes I've been in, they figured it out pretty quick. But, but I'll, I'll often close amen and, what do I say, Mary? Amen and amen. You forgot already? All right. So, so amen and amen. It's just, I mean, it's just, it's, it's repetitive. So he does the same thing with his name. I am that I am. Okay. Uh, they wanted to stone him saying, and let's read it together. Thou being a man, makest thyself God. So that's what, you know, the, the Jews, uh, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, and many others, right? And remember what Pilate wrote up top. Jesus of... Nazareth, king of the Jews, okay? Which in some respects was true, but the emphasis was upon his humanity. So I, I'm not, even though we have Pilate kind of wrestling with a few things, you know, and that's kind of an, how many angels dance on the head of the pen. Did Pilate end up coming to faith? You know, uh, eh, we don't know. Scripture just, just doesn't tell us, Okay. But there is definitely an emphasis on his humanity throughout his passion, not on his divinity. But then comes Easter Sunday, you know, then comes the 40 days of Jesus walking around, showing himself to people, right? And don't forget Easter Sunday as well, what happened actually on Easter Sunday? Graves were opened, and roughly how many people were seen walking around that were dead? Remember the figure? It's like it's 500, isn't it, Pastor? Is that sticking in my head for a reason? I put you on the spot. You don't want to answer that? Yeah, so, wow. I mean, these are kind of big deal, big deal events. Okay. Do you want to add anything? Okay. <laughs> Let's go on. For fear of misusing God's sacred name, Jehovah, and Yahweh is as close as we can get in English to the Hebrew original. So when we had Hebrew in seminary, we were taught when we came to God's name, because there's no vowels in Hebrew. Remember, he, biblical Hebrew is a dead language. In the same way that biblical Greek, Koine Greek, common Greek, is a dead language. Okay, They're not used anymore. Biblical Hebrew, we have no idea how it really sounded. Okay, And so what happened was uh, scribes added pointing or vowels, because you've got to have vowels. So basically the Hebrew Bible consists of nothing but... If you don't have a vowel, it's a what? Consonant. It's all consonants. So you've got to add your vowels in. Okay. Uh, so they did that to make it uh, not only um, uh, easier to read, uh, but, but now orally to be able to hear. Okay. Um, and so when they would come to God's name, Yahweh, they would uh, basically substitute 
uh, different words because they were so afraid of actually saying God's name. Okay, So that's where Jehovah is, and there, there's a fun debate that they always have in some seminary class every year, whether it's really God's name or not, <laughs> right? Uh, so, okay. Um, so that custom was followed when the Bible was first put into Greek. So that's the, the word Lord. Jehovah then became Kyrios, Lord. So when the New Testament calls Jesus Lord, that is the meaning. He is God, Jehovah. You'll see this in some of your Bibles. It'll be in, in uh, um, small caps. Normally you'll see like uh, uh, capital L and then small cap O-R-D. And, and that, when you read your Bible, is where this, you know, has, has, hap- has changed. Okay? So just, just kind of pay attention to that. Um, so, for instance, Romans 10, 13, let's read it together. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, Jehovah, shall be saved. So that directly applies to Jesus, the words of Joel 2, 32. The truth that Jesus is God is not found only occasionally here and there. It belongs rather to the very core confession of the New Testament that Jesus is Kyrios, okay, or Lord, okay. Um, he's got a Y in there. I would say Kyrios is how I was taught to say it, but then again, that's the translation side of it. Uh, you can look at Romans 10.9, 1 Corinthians 12.3, Philippians 2.11, uh, we're not going to do that right now. But here in embryo, or at its very beginning, are our Trinitarian creeds. So there's only one Lord, that's Jehovah. And remember, Deuteronomy 6.4, and you can write this in your book or down if you want. This, this is called the, the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. So this, this is the very, the very first creed, if you will, that you find in the Bible, is Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, which goes something like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Okay? So remember, God's people uh, were were so different from all the other religions at the time because they were monotheistic. They worshipped one deity, okay, theos, one God, okay, not polytheistic, okay. So Jesus is that one Lord, Jehovah, yet so is the Father and so is the Spirit, now that's where we start to have fun, right? Because now you got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you're like, well, that's three. Okay? And, and that's where the church then, uh, because that's what Scripture says, came up with a term to define this three and one, one and three, and we call that the tricycle. Oh, sorry. Triune, or the Trinity, right? Okay? So it's, it's three, une, one, three and one. Okay? Um, so, but it's, it's, it's still one entity. But yet every attempt you make to try and explain that breaks down, right? So take even a tricycle in that attempt, right? There's still three individual eel, wheels. Can one wheel get flat? It doesn't really affect the other wheels. It might affect the, the tricycle's ability to go, right? And my kids wore out their riding toys when they were little. They were ridiculous. And they're boys, of course, so they're having, you know, derbies where they crash each other and you know, they do all that. And I remember one little, it was a red flyer tricycle. Man, that was a nice tricycle. Um, and, and I don't know what the, something on the, the, the bearing on the wheel. I mean, they just, they tore it up so bad. And the wheel's going like this. Right? So like going down the sidewalk, right? And the other two wheels are going fine. Uh, but the tricycle keep wants to go to the right, right? Because it's like it's got a flat, you know, over on the right side. Um, and so, but does that really explain three and one, one and three? It doesn't, 
right? Uh, because they're, 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 they're all one, okay? So we've talked about this before. You know, I've had uh, teachers in high school, I've had professors in college that have used fruit, uh, apples, oranges, that have used ice to try and define the Trinity to me. And, and I don't know about you, but I haven't found one single way of really doing that. Because everything that you try to use physically of this world completely breaks down, defies the laws of you know, physics and you name it. Because it's three beings, but one God. One God, three beings. Um, and you're like, Ugh. you can only take it on faith. Which is what it comes down to. It's just simple faith. Okay? So if you're struggling with that, what I'll do is I'll probably just have you read Scripture. Because the only one that can really teach you and convict you of that is who? The Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. Okay? Questions? Comments? Okay, which takes us to God and man yet one person, which is what we're talking about. So in the most holy trinity, we must distinguish, distinguish yet may not separate the persons. So it is with the two natures of our Lord. On one hand, we must not imagine these natures confused or mixed up as though they were not distinct, right? Um, so I have probably for the better part of, uh, how many years have I been experimenting with the perfect pancake batter? What would you say? What would be your guess? Eight years? I bet it's longer than that, but eight's a pretty good guess. So I typically make breakfast for the boys every morning before they go to school, because my wife's a school teacher, and she's you know, up with the chickens and the cows, and she's gone, you know, and that sort of thing. And, and I, I, have, I have tried a lot of different things, but you want to know one thing that's made a difference that I've found on the pancake recipe is when I mix in the butter, and what temperature the butter is. Notice I said butter and not oil. I stopped using. Butter, olive oil is really good. It's really healthy, but it just doesn't taste the same as real, real salted butter. Oh, my goodness. Ugh. Anyway, so, so when you start talking about, about Jesus now, you know, and, and we want to separate out different things of who he is, right? So, so people talk about, you know, Jesus being... Oh, he's so peaceful, and he's so loving, you know? And, and, then, and then what do they forget with that, right? Or we, Jesus just wants everybody to get along. You Christians, stop talking about things that divide us. Stop talking, I mean, you fill in the blanks, right? Abortion, homosexuality, women as pastors, you know, liturgy or not liturgy, I mean, all these other things. Where do you end up? Why? Why do you end up nowhere? That's right. And not only that, but God's Word does give us proscriptions for such things. Correct? And you can't ignore that. So, so Jesus, who confronts, for example, the woman who's living with a man that's not her husband... And the three, four, or five men before weren't her husband either. But Jesus, what was he thinking? I mean, seriously. He should just mind his own business. But nobody ever seems to remember that one. Or Zacchaeus. I mean, he confronts Zacchaeus who's stealing money. Correct? I mean, just tell me if I'm wrong on any of these Bible stories. Okay? Uh, Jesus deals with sin. He does deal with it in a loving manner, 
okay? Except for perhaps when he goes to the temple. And what does Jesus do? He looks a little bit like one or two of my boys on the golf course when they're having a bad round. <laughs> Except they don't have whips. <laughs> but they got golf clubs and they're flying everywhere. <laughs> you know? But Jesus' anger is righteous, right? He drives out the many money changers, right? I mean, do you have a picture of this Jesus in your head? Because that's, that's quite a picture of Jesus, right? Think of Jesus as the biggest, baddest, scariest person you've ever seen in your life. Okay? Probably a little different for all of you. Okay? And Jesus goes in and he drives the money changers out of the temple. He doesn't just go in and wave a whip around and everybody looks at him and laughs. He drives them out of the temple. Okay? He's righteously angry. So, you know, this is all the same Jesus, right? It's not just the Jesus said, you know, whatever, he's having a bad day. You know, he didn't, you know, his pancakes weren't very good for breakfast. I mean, this is the same Jesus. Okay. All right. Any questions or comments on that? So you got to take all of it. And that's, that's the point. You, you have to deal with all of scripture. And that's a hard thing sometimes I've found for Christians to deal with. Sometimes the only picture or the version they've had of Jesus is, is, is one way. And it gets left out. And when they start hearing all this other stuff, it's, it's oh, you know, you, know, you, you Lutherans or you Christians, you're, you're so judgmental. You know, it's like, what scripture say? But then at the same time, I'd also encourage you, speak the truth, but be loving. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, be loving, be concerned for your neighbor, don't be mean-spirited, don't be holier than thou, I've got it figured out and you don't. I'm smart, you're stupid, don't, don't do that, okay? That does, that's not going to help. That's not going to get you anywhere, okay? All right? Okay. Let's move on. Nothing? Good? Okay. So here remains one divisible divine person. And let's read it together, uh, Luther's uh, Christmas hymn. Here we go. He whom the heavens cannot enclose does in Mary's lap repose. So accordingly, there was another heretic by the name of Nestorius, and he, and he was wrong to deny that the Blessed Virgin, uh, accordingly, the ancient heretic Nestorius was wrong to deny that the Blessed Virgin Mary is the mother of God. Jesus is God and Mary is his mother. Therefore, and in that sense, Mary is the mother of God. Now that's logic right there. Okay, Luke 1.43, not the mother of a mere man who has some loose connection to God. And that's why we should honor Mary. Does that mean because she was the mother of God that she can hear our prayers or intercede for us? No. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Even Mary in her Magnificat talks about, you know, her of low estate, right? I mean, she's very humble, but, you know, she can't do anything. So we shouldn't afford qualities to Mary that, that God doesn't specifically reveal as given to her, okay? And that's where the Roman Catholic Church has overstepped the bounds of Scripture, in many regards, okay? But I will say this, the one thing I think they do better than us Lutherans is they do place more emphasis on Mary being the mother of God, okay? I, th I think as Lutherans, we're kind of afraid to, to really emphasize Mary being the mother of Jesus because we don't want to fall down that hill, okay? And I think in that sense, you know, we stop honoring Mary and, you ready for this? I think we stop appropriately honoring women and the gift God has given 
of having a womb, okay, and how he works in that way, okay? More on that later. I don't want to dive into that just that yet, but I want you to think about that at least, okay? Okay, where am I at? So this logic becomes even more important in the following sequence. Here we go. You got your, you got your fingers? Loosen up your fingers. Here we go. Jesus died. Jesus is God. You got it? Therefore, God died. You ever take a logic and rhetoric class in college or high school? Okay. Um, so a mere man's death could not have saved us. And let's read 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, His God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So no mere human blood can cleanse us from sin, right? And if you study the book of Leviticus, you'll learn that the life is in the blood. The repeat after me. The word is nephesh. Say nephesh. The life is in the blood, right? So there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. So all the blood, right, all the beast on Jewish altars slain, remember how the hymn goes? Can any of that blood atone? Why? What's the problem with that blood? What's the problem with your blood and mine? It's tainted. It's bad blood. Right? It's bad blood. So, 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 so the blood of Abel, right, cries out from the ground. Why does the blood of Abel cry out from the ground? Because it needs to be redeemed. It needs to be restored. It needs new life. It needs to be resurrected. Who's going to do that? There's only one who's got pure blood. And that's why the shedding of his blood in his passion is so important. That's also, you ready for this? Light bulb moment. Why he gives you his blood to drink. In, with, and under the wine. Because you need that blood, because your blood's bad. Okay? I once heard, and I would give him credit if I could remember who it was. It was an older, it, it might have been Dr. Nagel, it could have been Professor Brighton, I don't remember, but said, The Lord's Supper is like a transfusion. And I was like, Wow. <laughs> I'm so stupid. He's really smart. I mean, when you kind of think about it, right? So, so his blood covers over all of our sins, and it's, it's just coursing through our veins, right? Uh, and, and wow, okay, Ugh, goosebumps. So, no mere human blood can cleanse us from sin. Does God then have blood? Yes, in Jesus, who is God and man in one person. So the holy blood of the Lamb of God in Revelation 5, Revelation 22, which really is all about worship, okay? And, and someday, how long has it been since you've done a study on Revelation here? It's been a while? It's probably the most misunderstood book in the Bible. I would submit to you it's one of the most beautiful books in the Bible. Okay? And it's not that difficult to understand. So maybe someday we'll, we'll tackle Revelation here. because It's really good stuff. Okay? Um, so the holy blood of the Lamb of God, look at, look at, listen to Professor Marquardt, has infinite detergent power. <laughs> Infinite detergent, that's cleansing, right? So that's getting the stains out, right? It's like every time we're on the baseball field, we're, when we're on real baseball fields with mud and grass and we see, see a team with white pants, my wife goes like this. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, now so many of the fields are all turf, so it's, it's, it's changed a little bit, okay. Um, 
So that is why, despite some evasive modern translations, Scripture speaks, and let's read it together, of the church of God with he purchased with his own blood. Okay, questions, comments before we move on to the next section here? Are you putting some of the pieces together here? Jesus has to be fully man because he has to have what? He's got to have blood. And he's got to be God so that his blood is what? Yeah. Okay. So when you, when you start kind of wrapping your head a little bit around this, and when you start to think of Jesus in heaven right now, with blood is coursing through his veins. Jesus is in heaven right now with a pulse, which is great hope for you because what does that mean for us and for our loved ones who have died? We all will once again have what? A pulse again. Okay? Now the souls and spirits that are in heaven, they're there. Uh, the Lord recognizes them. Scripture even talks about them recognizing each other. Don't ask me to try and explain that to you. So all I can tell you is what Scripture says. They're surrounding the throne of the Lamb. They're at peace. Time is not passing for them. Uh, they want for nothing. But they look forward to one thing, and that's the return of Jesus. Okay? And the new creation. Okay? So, you know, my grandpa's not in heaven, you know, driving his 55 international flatbed, one, because it's in my uncle's shed. Uh, you know, he's, he's not, you know, shooting carp in the river with his 22 rifle as he's leaning out the side of his old Chevy pickup truck, spitting Copenhagen on the ground. Dang, carp! You know. So he's not doing any of that, okay? Now, maybe he'll do that in the new creation. I don't know what the new creation's going to be like. I mean, we have all those things that we like, right? I mean, I, you know, we all have the things that we enjoy that we hope are there in heaven. And we've got a pretty wide variety of people here that like different things. We all say something different. I can't tell you. It'll be good. It'll be physical. It'll be a reality. It'll be flesh and blood. And, and, and you will like it, okay? So it's, it, it'll, it'll be even better than Brussels sprouts, okay? <laughs> Let him who, which are really good with garlic and sea salt, by the way. <laughs> Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If Jesus is God and man, that it is wrong to divide him from himself, which, you ready for this, is what the Calvinists do. And you can look up online the Heidelberg Catechism. Look at question 47, which, quote, With respect to his human nature, he is no more on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. Remember the question back in my introduction a long time ago I asked you to think about? What was it? I said, is Jesus flesh and blood where? Here. So how would, how would a true Calvinist answer this question? No, absolutely not. Jesus is not here, flesh and blood with us. It's only his majesty, his grace, and his spirit. So he's with us, but not in a physical way at all. Okay, so hang on to that. And we go on. To say that as man, Christ is present only in one place, to say that as man, Christ is present only in one place, and that everywhere else he is present only as God, is to try to undo the incarnation. Listen carefully to what Marquardt is teaching us. By his ascension, the Lord, precisely in his human nature, and that's what we're observing today, became not more absent, but if anything, more present to us. Wow, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. We saw Jesus going up into heaven, the disciples wrote. 
So how can we say that he's more present with us now? Let's read Ephesians uh, 4.10 together. You ready? He ascended up far above all things that he might fill all things. So he ascended to take his place where, think of the creeds, at the right hand of the throne of God. So he ascends so that he can receive that which God the Father has given him, which is power and authority over what? Everything. Right? Now let's say that I run for office and I become the governor of the state of Indiana. Okay? And let's say that uh, there's a, uh, oh, it's been in the news lately, uh, there's been a war veteran, did a couple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and, um, and I want to pardon him from his federal crimes. As governor of Indiana, can I do that? What do I have to become? I have to become the president. Because the president would have the authority to do that, right? Now, I can podcast about it, I can write articles, and I can say, this isn't fair to, and don't misunderstand anything I'm saying here. I'm not weighing in on what's current topics. I'm, I want you to understand the authority side of it, okay? Um, I can't do that until I'm the president. You got it? Jesus has to ascend into heaven so he can do what? He can be president! Because in doing so, God the Father is giving him that place and position of authority so that he can fill all things. Are you tracking with me here? Okay. Hang on to that. Let's go back to Marquardt. Of course, the full divine majesty was in the man Jesus all along, right? It was there when he was a baby. That did not begin with his resurrection or ascension. So the Son of Man has the divine authority to forgive sin. We hear that from Matthew 9, 6. And is Lord of the Sabbath, Matthew 12, 8. And it was no one less than the prince or author of life who was killed, the Lord of glory who was crucified, Acts 3, 15, 1 Corinthians 2, 8. Yet, during his earthly humiliation, our Lord did not make full use of the divine glory he had in his human nature. And remember, that's what the devil tempted him about in the wilderness. Are you hungry, Jesus? It's been 40 days since you've had a white castle. So, so why don't you take these stones and turn them into your favorite sliders? Just eat and be full, man. Okay? Or Jesus, you, you haven't had a chance to cross these things off your bucket list. You know, you were thinking about skydiving. So why don't you jump off the temple? And, and, and don't worry. I, we don't have any parachutes here, but the angels will stop you. It'll, they're better than parachutes. You see where we're going with this? So, so the devil recognized that Jesus had what? He had power because he was divine. Okay? Um, he took upon himself the form of a slave, Scripture tells us, humbly obedient even to the point of death. Yet faith is not deceived by his lowly appearance. Matthew eleven six. 6, let's just read it together. Blessed is he that is, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Blessed are those that are not offended by me. We are to imitate his self-denying lowliness. And our path, too, leads by baptism through the cross to the crown. The grace of becoming in Christ, let's read it together, partakers of the divine nature, right? So when you're baptized, sacrament, it's mysterious, you're clothed with Jesus. You're connected to the divine. When you eat of simple bread and simple wine, that at his word is also his body and blood, you're partaking in the divine. When you hear your sins are forgiven, 
by those given the authority to speak in the stead. Are your sins forgiven? Yes. Now certainly that word's been given to you and you forgive each other. But if you're ever conflicted about that, where does catechism tell you to go? Who should you go here? Say that you're forgiven. The guys in the funny uniforms with the dresses. Your pastors. Okay? So they've been given the authority to do that, to speak for Christ. Okay? So we who seek the joy of the new without the death of the old must take to heart Luther's reminder that Christ must be grasped first as man and then as God. The cross of his humanity must be sought before the glory of his divinity. And once we've got Christ the man, he brings along Christ the God of his own accord. So our own frightful time should teach us to glory in the Son of God who for us and for our salvation did not evade suffering. As Edward Shalito put it after the horrors of World War I, let's read it together. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And not a god has wounds, but thou alone. Okay, let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.